Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Today our scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, Kimberly and I were out of town this past weekend, and so when we um, got got back into Birmingham, I wanted to to listen to to Kevin's sermon that he preached on Sunday, and uh, lo and behold, and some of you may know where this is going, um, when I opened up Spotify, there was not one sermon uploaded, but there was two. And the first was your sort of, you know, run-of-the-mill, boring, uh, unspectacular audio file. But then the second one, the second one was the same sermon, uh, but our brilliant Alex Lowry had added a nice lo-fi beat behind it. Um, and guys, it was so good. It's really good. Uh, and then if it couldn't get any cooler, the song credited the musician who made the lo-fi beat. Um, and do you know who, who wrote it? It was our own Sarai Williams. So the problem is now that I don't, I don't really want to listen to another sermon without it. Uh, in fact, I don't even really want to preach without it in the background. So uh, Sarai, would you mind coming forward and playing? I'm just kidding. Uh, but if you, <laughs> if you do fall asleep halfway through and you need to listen back, or if you're, you're, not, if you're out there listening and you have the audacity to click on the first file, please Please bless yourself this Christmas season and listen to our lo-fi version of the sermon. All right, that was my first sermon. Um, I've gotten that out of the way. Uh, and so now I want to mention that we, we are more than halfway through Advent. And some of you, you may be really familiar with Advent, but for others of you, uh, this might be something new, and, and that's great. Um, and so to catch you up, uh, or maybe to introduce this to you for the very first time, um, Advent is a season that is celebrated uh, really by Christians all over the world. 
And the word Advent, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, and it literally just means coming. And so while Christmas um, being celebrated happens at the end of the year in December, right, for us, um, but in the liturgical calendar, it actually marks the beginning of a new year with Jesus' birth. Uh, and I, I don't know, I think that's really cool. I think it's neat. And so it's, the four, it's four weeks long, and it's, uh, it's always celebrated the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas. And you see, Advent, it's meant to be a season of anticipation, of excitement, of longing, uh, of yearning even. Um, and so rather than just saying, you know, the Israelites, they were waiting for their Messiah, it, it, it puts us in their shoes to actually like feel that very longing also. And so that when finally, when, when Christmas finally comes, uh, you let out a sigh of relief. And as if you were the shepherds, uh, you were seeing your sa- saviors and, and singing, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Advent, it's meant to move the story of the birth of Jesus, you know, from your head all the way down into your heart and into your gut. And Jesus has already come for us, right? And so uh, now as Christians, we also prepare ourselves and we wait eagerly, we wait eagerly for uh, and expectantly for his return, where he's going to make all things right and new and whole. Because I think the thing is, whether you're a Christian or not, Christmas, it, it does something to us, doesn't it? There's, there's something about Christmas time that seems to sort of magnify the pain and the suffering and um, all of the, the pain and the suffering that's around us. And it, it makes us want to look for something more, to look for, for hope. And I, th- I think we've all noticed that, right? The, the broken relationship or the missing loved one or, or even just that in godly, ungodly uh, injustice in the news. It, it feels particularly weighty and extra heavy this time of year. You know, you may have thought that you were managing, but then Christmas comes and, and you, you break down all over again. And so we jump into Christmas hoping hoping just maybe for a moment, right, that Christmas can be a release. Christmas can be a moment where evil and hurting and brokenness, they don't reign, but peace and love and joy, the longings of our heart, the way things should, should be, that this, that this would be our reality. Um, even a, a non-religious and very vulgar writer in an article titled, uh, Christmas is a Wonderful Secular Holiday, uh, this is, he, he notes that the power of Christmas is that people are actually exchanging kind, well-intentioned words instead of shooting each other. And it, it speaks to something in us, doesn't it, right? Like, that's something that something that we, know, that we know, that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, and it helps us long for something else, some, something different where things will be right. Uh, in 1914, World War I uh, was raging on, uh, you know, with trench warfare, and it was, it was brutal, it was awful, and British and German troops, they had been shooting at each other for months, um, and, and the bodies of dead teenage boys, right, they're, they're piling up through the fall and into the winter, but then Christmas came, Christmas came in all of its might, and they stopped killing each other, uh, at, at least for a day, uh, and they, they called what happened the Christmas truce. Let me read you uh, parts of two letters uh, who were, that were written from some of the troops who were, who were there. It says, well, here's one of them. We are having the most extraordinary Christmas day imaginable. The thing started last night, 
a bitter cold night with white frost, soon after dusk when the Germans started shouting, Merry Christmas, Englishmen, to us. Of course, our fellows shouted back, and presently large numbers of both sides have left their trenches unarmed and met in the debatable, shot-riddled, no-man's-land between the lines. Here, the agreement, all on their own, came to be made that we should not fire at each other until after midnight tonight. And then another one, uh, this guy writes, Dear Mother, I am writing from the trenches. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. In my mouth is a pipe presented by the Princess Mary. In the pipe is tobacco. Of course, you say, but wait, the pipe is German tobacco. Ha ha, you say, from a prisoner or, uh, or found in a captured trench. Oh dear, no, from a German soldier, yes, a live German soldier from his own trench. Yesterday, the British and Germans met and shook hands in the ground between the trenches and exchanged souvenirs and shook hands. Yes, all day Christmas Day, and as I write, marvelous, isn't it? They didn't stop shooting each other on Valentine's Day or Labor Day or Mother's Day or International Siblings Day. It was Christmas that made them stop, to put down their guns and to say, things are not as they're supposed to be. But just for today, just for today, let, like, let's look forward to peace and love. And Advent, Advent is that anticipation. Advent is that sort of restlessness. Israel, Israel looked backwards to the Exodus from Egypt as a sure sign of God's salvation. And they, they looked forward to the coming Messiah who would save them from their sin. And so now we as Christians, we look backwards at the, de- the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and we look forward, we look forward to his coming again. We say, come, Lord Jesus, return in glory, make all things new. That, that is Advent. But the mistake here is to think that Christmas starts in the New Testament. The mistake is to see the nativity scene as the entirety of Christmas. Um, The problem is that the story of the coming of Jesus, it doesn't begin with Mary and Joseph, and it doesn't end when the the wise men arrive. Rather, and and get this, the, the entire Bible anticipates and tells of the Messiah King who's coming to bring hope and light and life to a dead and a dying world. Christmas in the Bible... Christmas in the Bible spans from Genesis to Revelation. And to put it another way, the Bible, the Bible is a book of Advent. Uh, the Bible is a book of Advent. It's a book about Jesus' coming, whether uh, in a manger or again in glory. And so here at Antioch, we, we asked the question, uh, we started from the very beginning. We said, how do we see the longing and the anticipation of, of the coming of Jesus from the very first questions on the very first pages of the Bible? So God asked Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, where are you? Where are you? And while they ran and they hid from God because of their sin, Advent, Advent is about Jesus coming and coming to us, meeting us in our sin, in our unbelief, in our failures, and then kindly, gently offering us grace. Even in their sin, even in their rebellion and their their turning their back from God, even in the death and the just judgment that followed, there was still a promise of hope. And this is what God says to the serpent who deceived them in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so as quickly as the promise arises, or as the, as the problem arises, God makes a way, right? He, he says, there will be a son born to crush your head, even if you do manage to strike his heel on the way down. And so in Genesis 3, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, Advent had begun, right? The waiting and the anticipation for this son to save them was in full swing at this point. And so for our time tonight, I, I really want us to take a look at two Christmas stories, uh, one that comes to us right here in Genesis, and then the real Christmas narrative that takes place with the birth of Jesus. I want to compare and contrast them a bit and then show how uh, this first Christmas, the first Christmas that it led to, to further, deeper despair that magnifies the pain that we feel, um, but how the other one that led to our salvation, our hope, our comfort, uh, even, even a way out. So let's begin with Christmas according to Cain. Christmas according to Cain. You can follow along with me uh, as I sort of narrate through our passage a bit this evening, uh, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So here we are, the very next chapter after God promises a son who will save. And it begins with Eve having a son. You know, could, could this be it? Has, has the time already come? Is, is Cain the son who's going to overcome sin and defeat evil and reconcile the broken relationship between God and his people? Let's, let's keep reading. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but for Cain and his offerings, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So we're told that Cain was a farmer, and his brother Abel was a herdsman. Um, and their parents, right, Adam and Eve, uh, surely would have told them about the relationship that they once had with the Lord, um, the one who created all things and who walked with him in the garden, and parents who remembered what it was like before everything went wrong. But while they're living here in the shadow of the curse, uh, they, they must also see the kindness of God in, in, not, in not wiping them, right, but instead giving them land to cultivate and, and herds to shepherd. And so the text says that the two brothers, that they decided to offer some sort of, uh, of their work as an offering or as a sacrifice, seemingly in worship to the Lord. But the fact that God accepted Abel's offering but rejected Cain's offering, it sort of begs the question why, right? Why, why did God reject his offering? Was he, was he playing favorites? Uh, you know, did Cain do something wrong? And to be quite honest, it's, it's not really that explicit uh, here, uh, but based on the, different, the difference that describes the offerings a little bit, and then I think even how the New Testament describes the narrative, um, I'm going I'm to give it, try and give it my best shot. So first it says that Cain brought an offering, but Abel brought the firstborn. So in other words, Abel had determined to give his sacrifice as the firstborn to the Lord before he even saw the rest of the flock. And so, you know, I can't say for certain that Cain didn't bring the first fruits of his crops, but it, it, I think it seems to imply that he didn't. Uh, you know, Proverbs 3 says to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your offering. 
And you may be wondering, well, you know, what's it matter if it's a first fruit or it's a regular offering, right? I mean, I mean, God probably still gets the same amount every, uh, anyway. But you have to remember, you have to remember that, that God is not after just sheer obedience or behavior, but that God is actually after your heart. He's after love. It was the intimacy and the, and the relationship that was actually broken and severed in the garden by sin. And so... You know, imagine if I had planted an apple tree in my backyard, and it took years and years to grow, and then it finally started producing apples, and as the apples started growing more and more, and they're starting, you know, falling off the tree, you know, I just come to church and handing them out, right? I have too many apples. Whoever wants one, you know, you can have them, and, and it's, it's generous, right? It, it, it is generous. I don't have to give you my apples, uh, but think about if uh, instead, after years and years, that first apple came. And I didn't even know if I was going to get a second one, right? But before, but you know, but this is before they're like falling off the ground and, and mushy, uh, falling off the ground, falling on the ground and mushy. Um, and, you know, and I said, I want to give that first apple away. You know, I said, this is the toil of my hard labor and, you know, I, I hope I get some more apples, but, but I want to give you this first one. I think both, they're, they're, they're certainly both forms of generosity, but, but one is remarkably more so. One is generous after they've had their own share, and then one is generous even before so. And I, I, I think that this is what's happening with Cain. Um, and the second reason I think this, uh, we can come to this conclusion is because Hebrews 11.4 actually says, by faith Abel offered a sacrifice more acceptable than Cain and was commended as righteous. So giving the first of your flock or your first fruits, it takes faith to believe that God is going to provide more. It's, it's both an offering of generosity and it's trust in the Lord uh, that he's going to do as he's promised. And so all that to say, I, I think, I believe that this is why God rejected Cain's offering because, because it didn't cost him anything. There, there wasn't any sacrifice. His heart was not in it. So let's look at how uh, God responds to him. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so even in rejecting Cain's offering, God does not reject Cain himself. He says that this doesn't have to be the, the end of the story, but he warns him that, that sin is right there, ready to consume him, ready to rule over him, and ready to devour him. And so what will he do? What will the son of the woman choose to do? Right? Will he reject sin and crush the head of Satan and evil and live in righteousness? Or will he be given over to sin? Will this, will this be, in Genesis 4, will this be the Christmas, the coming of the son? Uh, will this be the answer to the world? That they were the answer that the world was looking for just one chapter later after the son was promised. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So instead of pulling humanity out of sin, Cain plunges us further into it. He does not kill sin or evil, 
uh, but he kills his own brother in envy and in anger. And so God asks him, you know, where is your brother Abel? Where is your brother Abel? And of course God knows, uh, you know, just like he knew where Adam and Eve were when he asked, where are you? And just like, you know, a parent who asks, uh, who did this? Knows full well who did it. Uh, they, they are questions that are meant to expose the heart. And Cain exposes his. He replies quite famously, right, am I my brother's keeper? And if, if that can, language is sort of confusing and, and old, uh, you know, other translations will say, am I my brother's guardian? Or uh, even, uh, am I my brother's babysitter? In other words, why am I responsible for him and his whereabouts? You know, you, you can hear the disdain and the, and the sarcasm in it. You know, who cares about him? I'm only responsible for myself. You know, now let's see the Lord accept a sacrifice. God warned that sin was crouching at the door, and Cain willingly opened it. He was not the one. He was not the one that they thought might be the Savior. They said, we must wait for another son. And all the while, things, they turn from bad to even worse, right? There's more death, there's more hurt, there's more injustice. The Bible is full, full of stories that are, are cruel and grotesque, um, the way that the world fell, I mean, even people who were supposed to be good, how they failed. But there was no Christmas day that came. They simply just kept shooting at each other from the trenches from morning until night. And so Advent, it carries on. And it's waiting for another Christmas. It's waiting for the one who's going who's to take the responsibility of their brother, one who will be a keeper and a guardian, one who will defeat evil and sin for us, one who will make all things right. And so uh, even a couple chapters later um, comes Noah. And his, his name literally means rest. You know, again, hope that this son might be the one to bring, to bring uh, rest to a painful and broken world. He fails. What about David, right? What about King David? It's not him either. So who then? Who, who will bring us peace? And the answer came to Joseph. The answer came to Joseph when the angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and speaking of Mary, he told him this. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save people from their sins. It would, be, it would be Christmas according to Christ. Because Genesis 3, Genesis 3 was not the only hope of the promise in the Bible, right? God continued to send prophets who, who spoke of this one who was going to come, who spoke of this coming son. But what becomes very clear throughout the Bible is that he's not going to be anything like Cain. Uh, and he won't be like really anyone else either. Um, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So when you think about light in the midst of, of deep, utter darkness, right? It's, it's piercing. It's, it's disruptive. It, it invades. And, and that's what happened when Jesus comes. The sky broke open and the angels proclaimed, Proclaimed, glory to God, peace on earth with whom he is pleased. Because the, the son, the son from Genesis 3 was finally here. And so for Israel, Advent was over. Advent was over. Christmas, Christmas had come. 
And so they left their guns in their trenches. Uh, they climbed out with, with blood splattered on their faces, and they shook hands with the men who just yesterday were, had been in their crosshairs. Uh, in fact, Isaiah 9 continues in verse 5. It says this, For every boot on the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What Isaiah is saying is that the military boots and their uniforms are going to be burned up in the fire because they no longer need them. And why? Because of verse 6, this is why. For to us a child is born. For to us a child is born. A son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, of his peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so the son finally came as the offspring of the woman. But it was God's son. It was, it was Jesus Christ, the long told about Messiah King who would come for sinners and for sufferers and lead them into peace and to forgiveness and reconciliation with himself and with others. It was Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God made flesh who came on Christmas to save us. Cain couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Only God himself was able to resist the crouching, the sin that was crouching at the door. And even, even more than that, actually, uh, the letter of 1 John, the letter of 1 John actually makes this comparison between Cain and between Jesus. Uh, and I'm going to skip around, around a little bit in chapter 3 of 1 John, but it says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John says, Cain was full of hate. He murdered his brother, but Jesus is full of love. He was murdered for us. So Cain, he's the example that John uses as hatred and murder, but Jesus is the example that he uses of love and of compassion. Was Cain his brother's keeper? No. But Jesus was. But Jesus was. You see, Cain killed, but Jesus came to be killed. Right? Cain took life, but Jesus came to give us life. Cain deflected shame, but Jesus took our blame. Um, you know, the first Christmas, it didn't work, but by God's grace, the next one did. And so I said at the beginning that, that Christmas, it, it does something to us, right? That it, it seems to remind us of our pain, um, you know, especially in the relationships of those who are close to us, um, but that it also postures our heart for a world where this will no longer be true. That there's something in us deep down that knows that Christmas time and wartime feel at odds with each other. That we all know that, that killing our brother is not what we've come to define as the Christmas spirit. 
So here, here's where I've been trying to, to get to all along. Our hope this Christmas, our hope this Christmas, it isn't in a generic, well-wished, whimsical fantasy. It isn't good cheer that's just masking the pain. Because that can't solve our deepest problems or our longings. And while relatives getting along at Christmas dinner or a momentary ceasefire in a war uh, seems to point to something greater, it's not going to restore our broken hearts and bring healing and restoration. In a world that's cursed by sin, no one is their brother's keeper, even if we are nice to each other for a day. Without Jesus, without Jesus, there is only ever Christmas according to Cain. No one is able to save you, right? We, we need something. We need someone who's greater. And so our hope this Christmas is, is a real person, not a sort of well wish, uh, but it's a son, a son who's been promised from long ago, who was born in a real manger in a real town at a specific time and place in history, who died a very real death for your sins, your real sins. And he offers us a real comfort and a real hope and a real salvation. That is... That is Christmas according to Jesus. Uh, Samwise Gamgee in The Lord of the Rings. You like that transition, don't you? Uh, he, he, asks, uh, he asks Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the question, it's not answered directly in, in the book, but a pastor named Tim Keller answered it by saying this. Everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. So the restoration of the world, God and his people together again, sin and Satan defeated, death, pain, evil, no more, all of this, all of this will be even sweeter because what Jesus did to bring us back to him. So the promise of Genesis 3 was fulfilled. God kept his promise A son did come to crush the evil one, uh, but not without the cost of being struck himself. Not without the cost of being struck himself. In the great paradox, it's only by his wounds, Isaiah says, that we are healed. So following Jesus doesn't exempt us from hurt or pain or suffering, but by his grace and his mercy and his gentleness towards sufferers and sinners, like you and like me, he does promise to bind up the brokenhearted. He promises to comfort uh, for the sins that have been committed against you and, and forgiveness for the sins that you've committed against others. He promises to love you. He promises to be your keeper. And he promises to guard you. So friends, hold tight to that truth this Christmas. You know, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus joyful and triumphant. Uh, For truly he has taught us to love one another. Truly he has taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Father, we we come to you with with weary hearts because we know that things uh, are not as they should be. And that we confess that many times our our own sin is to blame for that. Uh, And so, God, have mercy on us. Comfort our hearts. uh, Help us to trust in you and to to persevere in hope um, that that the coming of Jesus is good news, Lord, that that all things will one day be made new. God, help us to hold on to it. 
in, in faith and in, in love this Christmas. God, we love you. Amen. We are so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com, where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at antiochbhm.com. Go in peace.